0: As we begin, we'd like to give a quick land acknowledgement. The Seattle Interactive Conference in this recording is taking place on land that is ancestral home of the Duwamish and many other indigenous peoples, recorded and unrecorded, who have been the custodians of this land since time immemorial. As guests, and in many of our cases, as settlers on this land, we extend gratitude and respect to their ancestors and elders past, present, and future. One way to honor and support the indigenous peoples of this land is by making material gifts in recognition of their genealogical responsibility to the well-being of the territory and all beings who make a home here. You can make a donation and learn more about the Duwamish people at www.realrentduwamish.org. This is Design School as a podcast for the growing designer. Those interested in design, starting a career in design, or needing a reminder of why they went into design. Welcome to the Seattle Interactive Conference, and this
1: is Design School.
0: On this episode of This is Design School, we talked with senior visual designer Megan Rulock and director of innovation Cuba Mahoski from Blink, a research and design firm in Seattle, Washington, At the Seattle Interactive Conference, we sat down and talked with Megan and Cuba about their uncommon career paths, their work with NASA, and their experiences in today's fast-changing industry. My name is Chad Hall. And I'm JP Avila. We're excited to be here live at the Seattle Interactive
1: Conference. (laughs) Cuba and Megan, thank you so much for joining us on This is Design School.
2: Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks.
1: We're so excited uh, to do this live podcast in front of a uh, full audience. And besides that, we're also excited to have this opportunity to interview you two amazing creatives. Uh, I'd like to maybe get started by getting a little bit of your backstory. Where is it that you came from? How did you end up here today?
3: Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I am from the Midwest, and from a young age, I just got into art, into crafts, anything I could make, I wanted to learn all of it. And I got a lot of attention for it, which only fueled my fire. I think anytime I'm getting affirmation, I'm all in. So I kept going with that, kept going through school and started you know, really interested in my art classes. And as a senior, I got enrolled in this AP art class. I was like, this is gonna be how I figure out what I'm gonna do with my life. And I failed miserably. It was this self-led you decide your own path, art class. And I just couldn't do it. I realized I needed assignments. I needed like parameters. I needed something to hone my brain in. Otherwise it was like the world had too many options and I just couldn't do anything. Fast forward through that, my art teacher is like trying to help me along. She's like, why don't you really get into digital art? Like we've got the computers here. You should like learn Photoshop, do the whole Adobe thing. And I did wanted nothing to do with it. I was like, computers I want to be making stuff with my hands like I want nothing to do with the computer mm. and so pushed back on her and in my like effort to figure out what I should do as a career I thought maybe I should do interior design then I'll be in the space and I'll like Able to, I think I just thought it was HGTV where you're like <laughs> painting walls in 48 hours. Yeah, and where you, it's all material based. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought I was a contractor just like hammering things down. So fast forward to school and I'm on the computer all day long. And not even the cool computer. I'm on an HP just like doing CAD and I didn't love it. But mm-hmm. what I did love about it was the renderings. I loved making the presentations that showed that type of work. What I realized third year in was I just didn't love the interior design part of it. I, like, went to the senior show to see all the other disciplines, and I'm looking at the graphic designers, and I'm like, holy crap, I should have done that. Like, that looks so cool. Now I know how to use the computer, and I would want to use it in that way, so... I did grow up in a really frugal home and my parents were being so generous paying for all of my school and I was like, well, I can't change now like Mm -hmm. I'm three years in this will be an extra year I like won't be with my friends anymore. So I just got the degree in interior design and figured I'll figure out what happens from here. So my best friend and I decide to move out to Seattle and I had like reached out to a few architecture firms trying to figure out you know what I could do with my love for the renderings and the graphics and everything. And I found this architect working out of her basement, and she was starting to grow her own business and said, you know, I need another person. I can't commit to a full-time, but I could commit to 12 hours a week. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it, (laughs) $25 an hour. So
0: you moved uh, across country for a -a 12-hour-a-week job?
3: I did, and my best friend moved without any job, so we were just miserable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You are so brave.
3: (laughs) We lived in a one-bedroom apartment in Lower Queen Anne for $1,200 a month, and I lived in the kitchen and living room. So oh, that's gosh. how you can make it work. Yeah. There's definitely. That sounds
1: like junior designers. Yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> we'll figure it out. Um, so fast forward through that job and worked with her. We weren't in the basement for too long. We actually made it to a studio in Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. and I nannied her kids on the side because she felt so guilty about only giving me 12 hours a week. <laughs> uh, so I'd do some design work, go watch her kids, and It ended up being that I wasn't helpful at all with interiors. I was like, do not put Megan in CAD, you're going to hate it. So I just helped her with her marketing, the renderings, anything that was going out to clients, I was the final touch on it to make sure that it all looked good. And then also helped with her website. So that was my first, like, Stab at trying to figure out visual design or UX design was like, how can we make this website great? Mm-hmm. Her nephew at the same time was learning how to code. So it was this great, like, two people who have no clue what they're doing. Let's do a bunch of weird things. And we did some parallax that made no sense. And it was definitely like a moment of exploration that when I look back on it now is pretty strange. <laughs> but it at least gave me like the confidence to try and figure it out. but it also made me feel like a fraud, right? There's that feeling of, I went to school for interior design and I have no clue about like what actual type me, like how to use a type ramp, how to pick a good font. Like I just felt like every decision I was making wasn't rooted in any formal training. So it must be wrong. Yeah, it's like
0: imposter syndrome. Yeah, Yeah.
3: and I hear that a lot of people feel that way. Mm -hmm. It's like until you've done it enough or got enough affirmation, you truly feel like, you don't know what you're doing or why is someone paying me to do that? I think I felt like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the end with that job, I think I was there for around three years. And at some point that feeling just was so persistent. And I, I had architects who just thought everything I did was amazing. And that was great at first, but at some point I was like, you only think this is amazing because you don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> So I, was going in for this annual review with them. And I had that, I think we've all felt that like pit in your stomach where you just know that you should probably move on, but you don't quite know when or how. And it just hit me that morning, literally 30 minutes before this meeting, like you got to quit today. Today, Today's the day. You've got no plans. So I think I've also talked to others where you need that, like I've got nothing else on, uh, like in the plan and the queue, but I need to have nothing to be able to like, figure it out. I need that pressure. Yeah. And if anything that I've realized from my story, that's a reoccurring theme. Like I need the pressure to actually make me make a decision or do something.
0: So you just like walked into a performance review and were like, I'm quitting.
3: Well, (laughs) in (laughs) a few more words than (laughs) that, but yeah, basically I was like dancing around the fact that it wasn't working as well as I wanted it to. And Mm -hmm. maybe I should not be there anymore. And they, I mean, the architect the basement architect that we can call her. She truly was like my mother out here. So I think she felt like it was, she was so supportive in like my career moving forward. I knew that she wouldn't take that offensively. And she was actually very helpful in getting me jobs or like freelance from there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. She, she supports it. Um, so from there I freelanced for a bit and That company that I left was now a partnered, she partnered with her best friend. And her best friend said, I've got this friend who has her own company with her husband and they do this thing called UX and they're looking for a visual designer. Like, I think you should meet with them. And here I am with like my print portfolio, then this hacked website and I was like, (laughs) Who would want to meet with me? I was considering going to a general assembly or getting education somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, just meet with her. I seriously had no expectations for this. I was like, I'm going to show them my portfolio, walk out the door and say, thanks for your time. And just expected nothing from it. Well, they called me that afternoon to say that they wanted to hire me, which was one of the greater shocks of my life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they took me in. She's actually right here. Laura Blanchard, everybody. Uh, took me in, in this small... And it was great to be at a small company, right? Because you get your hand held in a lot of ways, but you also have the ability to touch way more than a small part of the project. So I learned everything at that small company. And from there, we were there for two years. And now... Um, she had worked at Blink previously and she brought me and my other coworker to Blink. So the three of us are now in this bigger company together. And I think that maybe was the time that the fraud feeling went away. Like I was learning the whole process with them and feeling great about it. But also because it was so small, I was like, but we're not actually doing it. Like we're just still making it up. And it wasn't until I went to Blink and everyone was like, wow, you guys like really know the process and that I feel like I got the affirmation and the clients that made me feel like I might actually know what I'm doing now. You found your fit. Yeah. Yeah. There's still plenty more to learn. Oh, but course, it's yeah. definitely like validating to realize in a bigger company that you mm-hmm. do understand the process and how to.
0: There's like comfort and the yes, scale of it. Yes. It like, oh, there's lots of people. I
3: guess like... I just needed more affirmation. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we've come full circle.
2: <laughs> Kiba, how
1: about your uh, story?
2: Uh, yeah first of all I, I just gotta acknowledge you know we, we rehearsed that and there was no timer there were no bright lights <laughs> shining. this is terrifying <laughs> <laughs> so if I don't stumble, worry
1: just think of just you and me talking here. yeah <laughs> um
2: so so listening to megan you know uh it, it looks like this natural progression of, of step after step everything being a, a linear story and and uh it's always just a collision of of different events that that's only in hindsight, you know, Mm -hmm. create a a solid narrative. And and when I look back at my story, I think I've been lucky enough to be at a number of of really important historical, geopolitical, and technological intersections Mm -hmm. when big changes were happening. So I was born in Poland in mid-70s, so I was on the other side of the Iron Curtain. I had, you know, very different upbringing than, than most of the people that I work with right now. And and my relationship to technology was diametrically different from, from what Megan <laughs> just talked about. Uh, my stepfather was a poster designer. My mother was a fashion designer. My uncle was a photographer. Another uncle was a painter. There was a constant parade of artists throughout the house. And design was this thing that, was just happening every day on the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, half of my bedroom would be requisitioned because we're building some sort of uh, poster that we need to photograph.
0: Sounds like every
2: designer's childhood dream. Um, (laughs) Sounds like it, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, technology, we had no access to to, to nothing. Uh, Mm -hmm. The first computer that I had, I built myself out of a shoebox, cardboard that I painted a, a keyboard on, and, and a little screen where I would put my notebook and handwrite software in and, and you know, draw the graphs of what I imagined that software to, to execute. Right.
0: Um, so you are a legitimate hand coder.
2: Yes. And I was extremely <laughs> smug about it, yeah. especially oh, nice. when I had a chance to validate that some of that code actually even worked. Oh, wow. Most of it didn't. Yeah. But... Mm. Nice try.
1: Yeah.
2: So, uh, you know, that that was the the, the early beginning. And then suddenly, pretty much overnight, Poland went from a communist state to a democratic one, from a a heavy kind of communism-inspired socialism to capitalism. This literally happened a few blocks from where I was born and raised Uh, I mean, I've seen tanks on the streets, I've seen, you know, people demonstrating and and, and liberating the country, and suddenly we were open to the world. Uh, A year or two later, I liked it. Like, (laughs) I just decided, hey, you know, I lived enough in in this place. It's it's fascinating, but there's so much more world to see. Mm -hmm. So, so. I started traveling and, and very quickly I realized how much my perspective and, and, and understanding of, of everyday life started changing as I was encountering different cultures, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was encountering the Western culture in, in Germany, France and Belgium, then uh, living for a few months in Egypt and then uh, ending up studying design in Turkey of all places, mm. you know, understanding how people in Middle East perceive the world and 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 the same things. It it was just a completely eye-opening experience. Mm. Uh, At the same time, I was really lucky that when I entered university, those were the last days of traditional analog design. So I still learned how to set type with actual, you know, metal pieces and and, and carvings or or do Mm -hmm. it with letter sets. And that's what we did on the first year. By the time I reached the fourth year of undergrad, it was all done on the computers. Mm. Uh, by the time I finished my master's degree, the internet came around and, and I started teaching myself how to do interactive. So, so I studied traditional graphic design or desktop publishing, as it was called those days. And for those of you who are not as old as me, it's called publishing these days. <laughs> um, so, so I studied that. It, it, it was fun. For a short while, then I got bored. I discovered internet and and that was the next amazing thing. So I learned how to switch from CMYK into RGB and how to make things move and how to do hyperlinks. Taught myself again how to code and and how to to create HTML web pages. Did that for some years. Then I discovered uh, motion design and that was the next big shift. I was like, okay, interactive pages, bad. Motion design, good, let's, let's do a complete 180, try something else. Uh, for a decade, I ran a motion design studio, started moving more into visual effects, into film, into live action, etc. And at that time, another sort of revolution started happening at uh, Turkey from a very Western country, started going uh, quite radicalized and, and, and changing in the direction that was influencing the way design was consumed. So as the society was becoming more radical, uh, people were becoming less and less open to innovation in design and and cool hip stuff. And they, you know, things that were being pushed forward were traditional family values mm-hmm. and, and very kind of you know, family around the kitchen table discussing a product. That that's a typical commercial. So I realized, okay, not a good place to be. This is not what I want to do in, in my life. And I got a job offer uh, from the studio in San Francisco called Bot and Dolly. And, and that was another just huge 180 in my life. So what Bot and Dolly did is, is we would buy decommissioned robots from uh, Detroit's car factories, hack mm-hmm. them so that you didn't need to be a roboticist, didn't need a PhD to operate them. All you needed to know is how to animate camera in Autodesk Maya. And with that knowledge, you could move this twenty-ton machine, you know, yeah. and, and and film impossible shots. I mean, I, I think one of our claims to fame was filming uh, the movie Gravity. All the live-action shots were shots using our equipment and wow. methods developed uh, in the studio. Yeah. Did this for a while. Uh, went into, you know, all, all the new tech, motion capture, drones, lasers, all that crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Google noticed our company and, and bought us out. Mm. And when we became a part of Google, we were offered to transfer to other departments. And I was already experimenting with virtual reality at that time. Said OK, let, let's do VR. Moved yeah. to, to the department that was, at that point, just debuted Google Cardboard. I don't know if you remember that, mm-hmm. that little thing. Yeah. Uh, we developed a, a 360 copy camera together. Uh, it it was another you know amazing time in my life, uh, and and three years later, uh, I had enough <laughs> again because I I, I You change. Got bored with VR. Yep. <laughs> no, no you, you can't get bored with VR. Ah. I, I got bored with with uh, corporate culture of, ah. of Google, I think. Yeah. Uh, moved up to Seattle, uh, mm-hmm. freelanced for a short while, and then in pretty similar. Fashion to you, got introduced to some people that were then uh, another company, now are a part of Blink, started freelancing together, and three months ago, we've made it official.
1: Wow. That's and so cool.
0: Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, It's been quite a journey.
0: And now you're the director of innovation, which seems very fitting as you've kind of been through the whole cycle of all these different mediums. Yes, throughout. they
2: give me all the latest toys yeah. and say, Come <laughs> <I> figure out <laughs> what can we do with them. It's, yeah. it's nice. a dream gig. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: it seems pretty amazing. There seems to be so many similarities between the two of you creatively-wise um, and somewhat different with technology, You know, like a, uh, a rejection of technology and an embrace of technology when there was no technology. Um, I'm wondering if there has been an opportunity for collaboration uh, at Blink for, for the two of you.
3: Yeah, we actually just... Um- <laughs> Wow, we didn't expect this question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and cue the finish. uh Just finished up a project with NASA with um, a couple, there was a couple other key people on it, most specifically uh, Heidi is a, the UX designer on it. But mm-hmm. this was a great chance for Kuba and I to kind of mesh those two worlds, right? Like he's yeah. coming at it, able to execute all the like artistic vision that we had in this motion space and he knows all the tech to do it and I kind of came at it from the artistic perspective like how do we need these things to move and Mm -hmm. just the the gel of that relationship was a great project for us to first have together. So this is a project for NASA obviously they have the entire solar system modeled to scale and it. They've been, I mean, I saw a TED Talk of it in 2011, where the UI looks the exact same as it does right now. And I mean, it's amazing how much is in it. Every rover, every satellite Mm -hmm. that they've launched is in there and modeled to scale. Mm. But the only people that can use it are the few that designed it and the few that are like showing others how to use it. But from there you just can't access all of the great information that's in there so mm-hmm. it was an exercise of you know updating the controls and UI updating the navigation how you find everything and then what you're seeing here is this idea of scrolly telling where if you're a person who doesn't know anything about how to navigate around or where the like playing in space would be mm-hmm. you can start these stories that Allow you to scroll and it moves the satellite and it moves from planet to planet in a really laid-back experience. That was something that we knew that if this were going to be accessible to anyone other than scientists and enthusiasts and those who already are interested in space, it needs to be something that's easy to consume and like enjoy from a really low effort.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, kind. this this uh, visual that you have up here, it looks amazing. I just I want to play with
3: it. Oh, even more. yeah. yeah. Maybe in a couple of years, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what was it like working together? I mean, you're bringing very different skills and mindsets of technology together. You had the brief of making this thing really accessible. And then like thinking about um, you know, the strengths you were bringing. Obviously, you are bringing the visuals and you're bringing the animation. but like what was that sense of play you were able to achieve
2: together? I mean, it was, it was actually the first time we've worked together. Yeah. And, and so far, unfortunately, the last. We, we haven't <laughs> been assigned to the same project yet uh, uh, again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, first of all, I mean, this project was, was a gigantic exercise in information architecture. Mm-hmm. So yeah, once, once again, huge shout-outs to Heidi for, for just wrangling immense amount of data and, yeah. and figuring out how to put it together so that it makes sense and it becomes accessible. Megan, I mean, everything you you're seeing on the screen is, you know, visually her work, and and she she just fed me such beautiful layouts and designs that that I didn't have to think at all about you know what it needs to look like. My task was to make sure we don't fumble, because <laughs> it, I come from from advertising background. I did you know TV commercials and stuff like that for many years, and and. It is not unheard of in in the TV world to to make the Earth spin in the wrong direction and make that actually broadcast live on on, on television and then receive a call to the station saying, hey, guys, this is not how our planet works. (laughs) And, and, you know, when you work for NASA, you you, you can't really do that (laughs) because they're going to spot if if their satellite is in in the wrong place.
0: Yeah. Well, when you were making things that were scientifically uh, accurate, were you actually paired with folks at NASA, where they were actually looking at being able to go back and forth, or were you doing research on your own, or
2: so it, a, a combination of two? And, and I'm gonna roll back to those old Polish days for for just a second for you here, <laughs> so that. <laughs> Everybody here realizes just what kind of messed up brain this is. So so when I was in elementary school I discovered heavy metal. I mean Metallica just released some new album that that came to Poland and I was really like, yeah, metal, you know. <laughs> so so I wanted to draw myself a t-shirt with a pentagram on it and i had no idea how to properly draw a pentagram you know so so i did what any schoolboy would do is i devised the mathematical formula that you feed the number of uh, points on a star and the diameter of a circle and it spits out uh, the angles and the lengths of the lines you need to draw so of know, course like
1: any yeah. any school child would yeah, sure, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> um, similarly you know with, with this project, I, I used code and data that was supplied by NASA, and of course, fantastic 3D textures that were given to me by the very same guys who captured them. I mean, this is yeah. like <laughs> nerd heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so everything that you're seeing in here is actually completely automated. Uh, it, it's done in, in After Effects and animation software, but it's driven by code. So all I need to do is, is input a date and time and advance or, or rewind time, and all the planets are going to spin and align where they need to be. And, and I don't know. That was, for me, the only right way of doing this thing rather than, than trying to wing it and, and you know fake it, because I would get caught.
1: Yeah.
0: Wouldn't it have been easier just to, like, find specific screens and stuff that you needed to make and animate those? Or That's
3: what we thought he was going to do. We were yeah. like, either he's going to use the cameras they already have and show them how they should angle them, or he'll just fake it. And he was like, I'll just build the whole thing. <laughs> just the entire solar if system. If it's solar worth system. doing. Yeah. <laughs> right? I yeah. think
2: my yeah. method is always if I'm given a, a week for the task. I can either spend seven days or or let's let's call it a work week, five days animating Mm -hmm. it by hand or four days building a system that then lets me animate it in one day. But if the project ever comes back, I don't have to repeat that Mm -hmm. work. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I I do it very frequently in in, in my personal work. uh, I I programmatically solve uh, color theory problems. And and actually, I I once won an award for, for art direction on the project that was art directed by a script that i wrote and you know chose the colors for me because i was too lazy uh, to do it myself or, or recently on, on, on a t-mobile project uh, rather than going around photographing uh, people uh, i use neural network to generate faces that, of people that don't exist and populated our library of users this way so you know it, it's it's a fantastic tool that, that is just lets you play instead of work i guess i hope my boss is not listening to this <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's an interesting uh, comment the way that that you're talking about technology um, you know megan you were talking about technology as something that in school you were reluctant to have it you know like oh, i want to be with my hands i want to want to be engaged uh kuba you were talking about technology as something that you were, you were thriving for, you were, you were hungry for it, and now both of you using technology to build these amazing models and, and all sorts of other things. Uh, what's next? What's on the horizon with technology? Either one of you, if you want to well,
2: that's his, Yeah, sure. that's, that's his domain. Mine. I actually should have attended a talk by, by Kelly Franznik, which happened several hours ago. And that was all about what's next uh, mm-hmm. on the horizon. At Blink, I mean there's there's a lot of things that we can't really talk about. But uh we're we're experimenting definitely with augmented and virtual reality, with uh haptic feedback, with with tactility of experiences. And and most of it is is basically figuring out how to make that tech more humane, right? I mean technology has has the tendency to take over. Uh and I mean I experienced that in, in my the home country seeing Polish school of poster kind of destroyed by the introduction of Photoshop, where all the artists who were who just amazing went completely bonkers on on layers and, and you know started creating monstrosities that that looked nothing like, like uh what their previous work was. And and it took years for them to realize no Photoshop is a tool and and it's there to serve them. And and I used to be an extreme technological enthusiast, I, I, I would, you know, jump onto everything new and, and kind of let it lead me by the nose. And I think now uh, with help of, of people like Megan and, and other designers at, at our studio, uh, I'm learning that, that you know, this is something that that is here to, to, to do my bidding.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Very cool. that's, that's I was at the uh, yeah <laughs> I was actually at that talk this morning and there were so many fascinating uses of technology for applications outside of building models of of thinking about the way that we engage in the world um, it was really fascinating fascinating and a little bit scary yeah, a little oh, b- yeah. just a little bit yeah <laughs> the Boston robot or boston dynamics demos are always like oh oh oh, oh
3: <laughs> do I like it I don't know yeah.
1: I have mixed feelings about this.
3: <laughs>
1: um, so this is an awesome project. Is there any chance of seeing this for those of, for those that are listening to the podcast
2: later on? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I completely forgot that uh, you guys can see the screens. <laughs> but, uh, most of the people will experience it as audio only. So at the moment, you know, what's playing on the screens is the internal prototype that we created. Uh, uh, as a part of our engagement with NASA and we are not sure when it's going to go live, uh, what's the timeline on this, we handed it off to NASA engineers and and they're moving forward at their own pace uh, however uh, we are planning to put a detailed case study about it on our website, blinkux.com so uh, I, I definitely welcome everyone to, to to come and visit and check it out um, again, I don't have the Precise timing on it, I think.
3: You can go see the super outdated one, uh, NASA Eyes on the Solar System, (laughs) and then you'll understand the before and after.
2: Yeah, or or you can come visit the website, and and I think we have at least five other case studies of of equally interesting projects that that had their own set of challenges. Uh, Maybe not necessarily something that we were involved with, but uh, I know Blink is a big studio and, and there is always something brewing.
1: Awesome. Well, we usually, we're usually we're almost out of our time here, but we usually like to end with something we call the recommendation list, um, getting some recommendations from our guests. So if you're up for it, we've got maybe one or two questions for you. Yeah. Is that okay? Okay. So uh, do you want me to start? I'll, I'll give it a, a go here. Uh, my question is for Cuba. Um, excuse me, Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> You've led a life of being uh, in the forefront of technology uh, from the 80s to now. Uh, by the way, I also was a child of the 80s, so I totally feel this as well. Um, what would you recommend as a risk that a young designer should take when dealing with technology or dealing with the cutting edge right
2: now? Yeah, so, so you know, this this may sound a bit cliche, the, the whole idea of, you know, take risks, try something new, but... Uh, I, I always try to encourage people to, to go one step beyond what they consider their comfort zone. So, so when I recommend people to take a risk, I, I don't mean you know use a different color palette or, or use a typeface that you normally wouldn't, or you know make your research on Pinterest instead of Behance today. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's really important to to gather as many unexpected experiences as possible. And, and I would say, you know, randomize your next activity and build a model submarine. Uh, travel to, to, to a city you've never been to and and try to avoid using your native tongue for a day. Uh, I don't know. Learn to play an instrument or, or at least to make noise using instrument. Uh, try something that you normally wouldn't have personally I'm, I'm trying to learn how to cook at the moment and and just just the the science and, and the chemistry of cooking is absolutely absolutely fascinating and and in some weird way it is translating into my endeavors in design uh so so yeah i mean expose yourself to, to as many new experiences as possible that, that would be my advice
1: stepping out of your comfort zone nice cool
0: uh, Megan, for you, I was curious, is there a skill or a particular knowledge set that you would um, recommend for other designers to help them be more creative?
3: Mm. Well, I feel like the thing that I struggled with most was probably coming up with a bunch of ideas. I was mm. like, yeah. I'm going to once I find the thing, ship it and <sighs> send it out. And done. yeah, I was getting a lot of feedback from my bosses, like, well, how about a, a couple other ideas? Like, we want to see more. Mm-hmm. And so I think the reason I didn't want to do that was I hated showing things that weren't complete or polished or perfect or things mm-hmm. I didn't believe were like final. And so something I did this past year in January, I started, I don't know if any of you have heard of the 100 Day Project, but typically that's like I've seen digital versions of it. Mm-hmm. So there were some people in the studio who were going to do it. And one of my colleagues had done it last year and he came up with a version of it where he was only using like a very um, limited color palette. It was black, white and pink. And it was it had to be a square because he was going to do it on Instagram.
0: Sounds like Ben.
3: That's Ben. Ben Shone. <laughs> Shout out to Ben Schoen. Yeah.
0: Season two. Yeah. <laughs> what, what what is, you yeah. What is the 100 day project?
3: So it's yeah. basically make something and post it or not post it but make something every single day for 100 days okay and so hearing his version of it it brought me back to that AP art class where I was like Mm -hmm. that is how I could achieve that I need parameters I need something to like constrain me otherwise I'll just every day have way too many options that I could do So I really wanted to get better at painting, and I had never done oil painting, so I decided I'm going to do 100 days of oil paints. Hmm. Everyone else in the office did something that took like 15 minutes a day, and here I am, two hours every night, like, all right, we're doing this painting. But I decided that I was going to do a painting of an egg. It had to have an egg or a nod to an egg in some way. And mm-hmm. I wish I could say there was some like bigger picture reason for the egg, like chicken's rights. But yeah. it was basically <laughs> that I knew, you know, there's many forms of an egg. There's like, I can abstract it with a yellow dot. Like there were ways around spending hours and hours every night. Mm-hmm. And that taught me because one, I needed to post it to my, I, my friends every day. Like I think that there became an average of my work I think I was afraid to show bad paintings or bad design because I felt like that made me a bad painter or a bad designer. Like anytime someone saw something that wasn't great, that must mean I was bad. And there was something about that project that totally freed me from that perfectionist in me where I realized like they just saw a good painting yesterday. If I do a bad one today, there'll be one tomorrow and maybe that one will be bad too. But like it came in waves. And I think forcing myself to iterate on that same thing every day showed me that I just have a natural up and down and that's the reality of it. And so I think that taught me iteration and taught me to ditch the perfectionist in me, Mm -hmm. at least when I'm getting feedback, right? Like you don't have to show things only when they're ready and perfect. Like there's a great point for feedback when it's not ready and perfect and that's when you should show it. So
0: yeah, it seems kind of like coming to peace with the natural cycle of, kind of the creative process and output yeah like it's good and it's bad and then like not everything you make is amazing
3: totally I'd convinced myself that you were a bad designer if you weren't good every single day (laughs) and now I'm like "Eh, I'm having a bad day
0: that's Mm. just okay yeah what was the kind of response you got from the project
3: uh it was great actually I at some point you know At the beginning, everyone's like, what's up with Megan and these eggs? And then everyone was like, I'm so invested in these eggs. Like, if it were 11 o'clock and I hadn't posted anything yet, they were like, "Uh, where's the egg at? And in the end, I actually... um, Enough people had said that they wanted to buy them. And I didn't want to separate the set of 100. I currently have them, like, clothesline hanging in my studio. So I made prints of them. And now all of my friends have a bunch of little eggs in their kitchens and houses. And I just love that they've made their way around. So... They're, yeah, I sold them. Oh. Well, I sold <laughs> yeah. prints of them at least.
1: How so excellent. Nice.
3: Right? Oh, oh boo. Yeah. The yeah. amount of egg <laughs> no, puns no, I've heard show. after that. that. that.
1: That's, that's
0: my bad that dad. He's a dad now.
1: Exactly.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we want to thank you both for uh, sharing your story today and your time. Um, it was much. Uh, appreciated and such an interesting opportunity to hear about projects like, like this. Uh, where can we go to, to get more information if we want to know more about stuff?
2: Blinkux.com. Easy <laughs> <laughs> okay. address. Yeah, uh, Blink has has pretty cool Instagram presence as well. And what was our Instagram handle? <laughs> Blink underscore UX. So the website doesn't have underscore. The Instagram does. <laughs> Come and see what we do every day.
0: Well, thank you, Megan and Cuba, for joining us today on this design school. It was so wonderful talking with you today.
3: But yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, this was it. A-
1: Let's give them a big round, shall we?
0: This is a design school is recorded in the field where design happens. The music for this is design school is composed by Michael R. Clark. You can find Michael online at musiclabtacoma.com.
1: For more information about each episode, visit thisisdesign.school.
0: We'd love to hear what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear in the future.
1: Follow the podcast on Twitter at TIDSpodcast.
0: Also, don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app and share us with your designer friends.
1: Bye for now.